Texas, and God's called me here for this season of life to serve the Big Island. And so, yeah, it's been great. Uh, first time in Hawaii, and just absolutely love it here. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. And um, yeah, I just also want to say thank you uh, to Pastor Dan and to the church for just welcoming our team, for supporting us as we serve the Big Island. And um, yeah, just for the welcoming spirit. And then for Pastor Dan, also did a, a class. He was teaching us more on the history of the island and what God is doing um, here. And so I just, just want to say thank you uh, for that as well. Um, so I'm going to be giving like a short sermon, and then we're going to do a little bit of um, one of uh, Chris. He's going to share his testimony here in a little bit. Um, and so we're going to do kind of a duo this morning. Um, and so when we were praying over like who was going to speak um, this morning, uh, we got Christian and me. And... Uh, so they asked me to preach the sermon, and um, really just had to come back to you. The first thing that came to mind is what God has been teaching me during my time here in Hawaii. Um, and so I figured I'd just share from that, and we'll see um, how it goes. But so my, uh, the message here is going to be on discipline in the pursuit of God. Discipline is kind of a topic. Sometimes it's talked about, sometimes it's not, depending on where you go. Um, but when I think of, so we're going to kind of start with what do we mean by discipline? So when you think of discipline, you may think of getting spanked by your father, which happened to me a lot growing up. Uh, you may think of like being grounded, right? Or you may think of not being able to play with friends, or maybe you have to do more chores around the house. Like think back to when you were a child and when you were younger. Um, and that is one side of discipline. It's usually as a consequence for doing something wrong. Uh, but then there's also another type of discipline, and that is... Um, a different word, and I looked these two words up in, um, in Scripture, and one is talking about upbringing a child as a parent uh, raises his kids, and the other one is as an athlete training for a race. And so we're going to be talking again about both of these, and to help you get a mental picture, think of like a, like a marathon runner who is training to run a 26.2 mile race. Let me see here. The difference between, well, there's, there's similarities between, but like with the training, it's, it's unto a goal, right? We're running this race. And as parents, I'm not a parent, but having been raised by my parents, like there was a goal as well, and it was that you would develop character and would develop godliness. That was the point of discipline. Discipline is always unto something. It's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. And so in the same way as our parents discipline us, and then there's this aspect of, like, training as an athlete. Um, we also are supposed to discipline ourselves. As our parents did when we were younger, we're supposed to carry on discipline. It may look a little bit differently as we go older. Um, so one of the first things, one of the first scriptures that we're going to turn to is going to be Psalms 32. Um, and this is kind of one of the first things that God was really teaching me about. And for now, we're going to be talking about the idea of training as an athlete. That is kind of the discipline we're going to be talking about at first in this message. And so um, during this time of here at the, the Southwest Training School, which is the six-month school that we're in, um, God has been teaching me through Psalms 32. And he's brought this up before in times, in times previous, but he's, he's been repeating it a lot more. And so in Psalms 32, verse 9, it says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And the kind of the image with that, if you think about 
is like how frustrating it is to have like a horse when you're riding down a trail and it's like every second it has, it's gonna be turning to the left or to the right and you're gonna constantly have to correct it with a bit. And a bit is something that's usually not, not very pleasant. Um, but it's, it's doing that, he's basically, the, the psalmist is writing saying, don't be like that, don't be something that doesn't have understanding, but learn to stay true on this path. And so I was asking the Lord kind of what that means and some of the things he's been teaching me. Um, it's very easy for me to become like complacent and in my walk with the Lord. And so what do you have to do to break that comfort, to break that cycle, to stay disciplined, to stay on the path? And so looking at... Um, Looking at this thing of looking at this aspect of training as an athlete, and in regards to discipline, um, we ask the question as well: like, why discipline? Like, why do we do it? If it's unto something, what is the purpose? In the New Testament, Paul compares our lives as Christians to running a race, the finish line being heaven and being eternity. And so, all of us are continuing on this line through our life until we cross over and are going to be with with Christ forever. For those of us who, who believe, and it says. And so we train well so we can run the race well. We have a choice in how we live our lives. We can, and then this is a quote recently. We were, we've been going to uh, New Hope Waikoloa for their young adults on Tuesdays. And I was talking with one of the guys about, about discipline and about this, like, spiritual disciplines, and we'll kind of unpack that a little bit more. But he said a quote, and it's kind of been ringing in my ears for the past couple weeks. And he says that, with this idea of how we live our life in the race that we choose, we can choose whether we run it well or whether we run it poorly in this life because we're all going to look back on it. He says that we can choose to live with the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, the, gr- the regret of ha- having not run the race well. And I don't know about you, but I want to be able to look back on my life and know that I, d- I gave everything on this life and that I, and I ran it well. And so that kind of brings us to the question, how do we run well? What is the, like, how, how do we run around? What is the means by which we do this? And for this, as I was prepping for this, the Holy Spirit just led me to Hebrews 12 as well. And here I, act, I looked at the words as well for discipline, and they're kind of inter, interwoven. The other word for discipline as in training for an athlete is actually train. It's used as train many times um, in, in Scripture. But it also you also see the, 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 the parenting discipline weaved into this passage as well. And so I'm just going to read, we're going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 17. And I'll go ahead and read this. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, so if you guys want to turn to that, go ahead. And then we'll get into a little bit more of how do we run the race well. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall not we much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to him, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which out, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And the, the end of that passage used to always like, kind of like freak me out a lot when it talked about Esau, and I think that's kind of in some ways, kind of the point, it should, it should give us a holy fear in how we cling to the Lord. Because you look at Esau, right? So the story of like Jacob and Esau is Esau was the oldest son, Jacob was the younger, and Esau sold his birthright um, for a single meal when he came back from a hunt and was like so hungry, he was, he was willing to sell the future of his birthright for a momentary pleasure. And you see Esau then when he tried to reclaim that, it was too late. And, Esau, and so you see, um, Esau had to live with the pain of regret of having forfeited what could have been his because he was too focused on the present moment and not what was ahead. And so again, coming back to this idea of how do we run the race well, um, in, in, verse, in verse 1, we're going to kind of dissect a little bit more of this passage uh, here in Hebrews. In verse 1, it says that we lay aside every weight and sin, and I think there's some things that are good that aren't sin, but that can weigh us down. Either lifestyles that we have that isn't necessarily contrary to scripture, but it's not maybe what's best. And so you have to ask yourself, like, what are the things in your life that are weights? They may not be sin, but it's weight that is keeping you from pursuing God with your whole heart. The key, and it says here that the key to running well is godliness. So verse 10, it's saying that God disciplines us to share in his holiness and it is to yield a harvest of righteousness. So the key is godliness. And there is sometimes where to throw off every weight in sin, God gave me this image of like, there are times and seasons in our life where we have to like, if, if like our soul is like this metal, we have to be stripped of all the, the junk and all the rust and everything else that gets on it. And you have to get down to bare metal to, to remove those comforts and remove those things um, that are weighing us down. And it's, a, and it's learning to live lightly. It's learning to live with minimal junk on top of the metal that you have, the metal of your soul. And so the other point I had is that godliness is formed through endurance. As it mentions here, like running the race with endurance. And so if you flip over the next page, or next two pages, we come to the book of James. And this is the other passage where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let, steadfast, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says, count it all joy. So when we meet these, these hard times, and when we have to build this endurance, and we'll look here in Second Peter and to see like, the progression of this, um, but we have to understand, like James says, like, when we're learning to be steadfast, um, he says it, it's involved with like going through trials. He says, count it all joy. He does not say count it all comfort or count it all pleasant, right? He says, count it all joy. And sometimes there's joy in the discomfort. 
So endurance and steadfastness are essential to the development of holiness and godliness in our personal lives. And it is in the fiery crucible of a trial that we are transformed. That is where we're melted down and we're broken down into what God needs us to be, where our souls are purified. These are built on pain and suffering, whether from discipline, whether from denying the flesh, from persecution, or simply from the brokenness of this world that we live in. And another, and if you, and another passage as well that kind of goes along with this that the Lord brought to mind was Second Peter. And I'll just read, it's a, very, it's a short excerpt from Second Peter 1, 3 through 9. It says, His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. The other word is, is excellence and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And through this passage, we see that there's also like a progression. There's a progression of one builds on the other. So we start with faith, right? And as we grow in faith, then we develop excellence in that faith. We, we, we grow in excellence, and then here it says the next one is as we grow in excellence, we grow in knowledge of the Lord, right? And as we grow in knowledge of God, it should result in more self-control in our life. And as we develop self-control, we develop steadfastness, perseverance when things get hard. And as that grows, we, we develop godliness, a godly character. And then from godly character, that produces brotherly affection in one another. And then as that brotherly affection grows and grows, it becomes love, where we are knit together in love, love that's not so easily broken by arguments or disagreements that we have one, among one another in the body of Christ. And so this leads me to the third point, and that is looking back to Hebrews 12, right, where it says that God disciplines us. We can learn to discipline ourselves as in training, right, for this race, and keeping ourselves, like in Psalm 32, like that horse, like, right, learning to walk along the path. And there are times where we go off and the Lord will correct us. That's just natural. It says in Hebrews 12 that we've all gone through discipline, all of us who are sons and daughters of God. We've all gone through discipline. There are always times where the Father will do that. But this idea of, like, training so we can run well and so we can keep straight on this path is also part of our responsibility. And we can, so the third point is we can discipline ourselves or we be disciplined by God. And the other image God gave me is like, is pruning a tree. And this kind of analogy is as a tree grows, and one of the things we've been doing here with um, serving the island has been helping out Kapuna. And so one of part, of part of that has been we did some tree trimming. And one of the things that I was kind of learning through this process of trimming these trees is that um, there are seasons that we go through that. There are seasons of pruning. And oftentimes, it gets overgrown to where like the leaves fall down and you can't mow under it, or there's just dead branches, and there's all this stuff growing, like little like pieces and branches growing out from places that it shouldn't. And over time, as that happens, the tree will become so overloaded and the demand for water and nutrients will be so far that it can't produce good fruit. And so what a good, uh, like a good tree, like a good tender would have to do is come and clip those branches. And there's some that require a small handheld clipper, 
and then there's some that require a big lopper or a pole saw, depending on how big they are. Depends on how long that tree goes without being pruned. And so to be more, and, and sometimes, sometimes, it can get so bad, the tree can be so overgrown, that in order to save the life of the tree, the owner must take, must take the pole saw and must cut down and cut away the dead to save the life of the tree. So you prune it to become more fruitful and sometimes to save its life. It is much more painful, and, and what I've learned is that when you cut them early, it, they kind of like the branches kind of look better, right? As you cut them when they're small, it's easier to cut. You just need the little handheld loppers, right? And, it, and it, it doesn't scar as bad. But when you have, and when you see the trees that have not been pruned for years, and you look, you can see where their previous branches have been cut off, and it, and it kind of looks bad. And, it is, and so this, this idea of it is much more painful and scarring pro, it's a much more painful and scarring process to prune a tree late than it is to responsibly maintain it while its, while its stray branches are yet young. And kind of with that analogy leading to ours, like, like there are things in part of our lives that will grow and things that will grow in our life, branches that need to be cut down. And it's easier to kind of keep, keep maintaining those and keeping those small than letting them just overgrow. And so we are responsible for our own growth and training. We are responsible for our own godliness. And so kind of like, what does this look like? How do we discipline ourselves? There are some classic disciplines that like we see from like over like centuries, disciplines of like prayer and fasting, which like I think we should be doing as the scripture like Jesus talks about that we should be, he expects us to do that. But then there are also other things, and this is where it gets more into like your personal conviction and your walk with the Holy Spirit of like limiting things like social media or like TV or like how much caffeine you intake or how much sugar. And not to be legalistic, but it's the idea of like what is crowding your soul, what is getting in the way of you having that greater intimacy with the Lord, and what are we learn, what are we leaning on for comfort that we need to maybe let go of for a season or forever to grow more in Christ. Sometimes you see classic disciplines of people getting up at like 5 a.m. to pray. I know a lot, of, a lot of some of the godliest men in my life that I've had and that I've seen had the privilege of, of, of learning from. Some of them were disciplined in getting up very early, and that was like a, a thing that they did. Um, you see the discipline of solitude and silence, spending, if you can, time each week, depending on how busy your schedule is, like spending time getting alone with the Lord, reducing like noise and everything else, and just sitting and being quiet with the Lord and with his word and letting him speak. So those are some of the disciplines, like the classic ones, and then there are also the other ones, like kind of 21st century that we have to, um, we have to ask ourselves, like, what do we need to cut out? And then there are always areas that, the last point is that there are always areas, again, that the Father would discipline us in. And because we all have blind spots, we all have things that we don't see. And so we can trust that even, even when God is disciplining us, as like a parent disciplining his children, we can trust that like it's because he loves us so deeply. Um, and kind of one example is this, we had a neighbor growing up um, in Texas and they had two kids, and I remember as one of, the, one of their, their oldest, as she got older, she, she, there was this down spiral, and it was kind of hard to watch, and my sister tried to kind of disciple her a little bit, and it didn't, it, it didn't really take, um, but it was just this, this, this spiral of as she grew up, and I remember at one point learning that um, their parents never told them no growing up. Their parents never told their kids no. And I remember 
discussing that, I think it was like with my mom or like a, or like a neighbor, and it was that they, they understood, like children feel love when parents say no. And um, they feel love and discipline. And for me, like, as I was spanked very often as a child, um, I also, like, look, in the moment, it was not, it was not easy. Um, in the moment, it was not, not pleasant. But I look back now, and I'm, like, grateful that my parents did discipline me. And I, I look back, and, um, yeah, I respect them for that, and I love them for that, because I knew that they were doing it out of love. And I knew that the whole time as well. Even, it was, even though it was painful, and even though there was that moment, right, of discipline, I would always, like, go running back to them, and their arms would always be open to receive me. And that's how we need to see our Heavenly Father. Because God, and God loves us enough to wound us, to keep us on the tried and true path that leads to eternal life. And as, a loving, as God lovingly disciplines us and corrects us, we must also train ourselves to run the race of this life well, to grow our roots deep into good soil so that we can stand strong against the storms of this life. And so the question I want to leave with you guys is like, where do you need to grow? To, to, where do you need to grow deep roots of your soul through discipline in your own life? And the last thing I'll share is kind of in this process for me of like trying to like limit things that I run to for comfort. Uh, we're going to fail in, in those areas because we're not perfect. And like even this week, like there's just like failure and like, not doing things, and doing things that the Holy Spirit was, like, convicting me of, like, you need to let go of, and, and in that, um, it was a couple nights ago, I just was kind of, like, just, I was disappointed, because I was just not, it, it didn't go the way I wanted to, in the sense of, I, I didn't, I didn't have the best performance, and, um, yeah, I just failed at it, and I was asking the Lord, um, I sat down, and she's asking the Lord, I said, what, um, it's like, what do you want to say, and, I was just kind of bummed about it, and he says, I never expected your performance. He said, I never expected you to be perfect, or he's like, I, I, basically, I expected your heart's posture to be out of obedience. I wasn't concerned with the performance and how well, how perfect you were, but that your heart loves me and pursues me, and I think that's what we have to remember to avoid becoming legalistic, which I so easily do probably more than anybody else, is like making a, a soul-killing law out of it rather than like a heart posture towards the Lord. And so, um, yeah, the heart posture would be out of obedience and trusting the Father's love, trusting that God gives us grace as we run hard and fast after him, and trusting that he's waiting with open arms for us uh, when we cross that line into eternity. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I have for you guys, and I hope that that Holy Spirit just continues to sow in you and work that uh, this week. So thank you, guys. Oh, cool. All right. Hey, guys. Um, just as, uh, I guess, starting out, if your name is Michael, can you please stand up? No Michaels in here? All right, that concludes our mic check. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> 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 
Hi guys, my name is Christian, and I'm part of the <clears throat> Youth with a Mission team. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm so glad to be here at uh, Heal Missionary, and thank you guys for all showing up today. I know that for me, at least, it's really hard to get out of bed and, you know, not go and <laughs> indulge in just lying on your bed or in the couch and just eating while you're on church and just kind of like halfway sleeping through the service. So I appreciate the effort because I know that's hard for me too. <laughs> and uh, today I'll be sharing my testimony. So just a little background on me. Um, I'm 19 years old. I'm currently like a sophomore in college. And um, I came to Hawaii because of the school, the DTS school, the discipleship training school. And I was encouraged to do so by missionaries that were staying at my house who are now actually in Jordan. And um, I guess this is kind of where my story begins. I started out as a pastor's son. And for those of you that know, uh, it's not easy. <laughs> um, it's very, well, I grew up in a very Christian home with a lot of rules and strict regulations. And although I did have a good environment and a good backbone, for faith, a lot of my life, my faith wasn't my own. It was my parents, it was what I was taught, it was what I was raised with. And starting out with that, I was always kind of, I guess, like a good kid growing up, uh, up until about high school. And at that point in my life, things began to change, you know, as every dramatic high schooler says. <laughs> so. When I began high school, um, you know, social pressures and peer pressure and a lot of different influences began to come into my life. Um, I began to, I guess, feel the real pressures of academics, um, stuff from parents, and a lot of influences that would really impact my future. So namely, a couple of those would be uh, finding right friends or like having good grades. And when it comes down to it, it's very stressful on a firstborn child to have a lot of that kind of pressure in a very tough environment, especially when they don't have too many friends. And because of these factors, I started to develop some uh, mental disorders. I became very anxious and having panic attacks. Um, I had a lot of depression growing up. And unfortunately, because my faith wasn't really my own, I started to develop different methods for coping. Um, so when I was, uh, I think, 16, uh, I began to really suffer from you know, depressive disorders and episodes, and where I started to really suffer from a lot of uh, self-hatred and self-harm, as well as uh, you know, being suicidal. And a lot of that was really difficult on me and my parents because to them, they didn't understand what they did wrong. They couldn't comprehend how um, a son that they had in their eyes given everything to, and I would say that I wasn't denied any opportunities in life, um, could still grow up, you know, feeling as though they were lacking something, craving for something more. And because of this, um, it drove a divide between us. And I began to isolate myself. I began to find different ways to cope with my depression, with fulfillment of anything that I felt that I had lacked emotionally um, through 
It might be relationships. It could have been through just busyness and completely distracting myself, you know, through video games, through um, hanging out with people, socializing, through bad music, and a lot of that stuff, although in their own right, aren't always like, you know, horrible things. When they replace what they're meant to do, when they replace that hole that God's supposed to fill, that God's supposed to literally come into your heart and take that burden from you, it'll always come up short. And it'll lead to just further and further longings for deeper and more powerful ways to numb the pain. So um, moving along, I moved in senior year of high school to a place called Long Island in New York. And there, I really got introduced to drinking. And I had never been into substances before. I was actually very against it because of my Christian upbringing. But because of this, um, this longing in my heart, this faith that wasn't my own, it really drove a stake into my faith. Um, eventually, uh, eventually, I think, leading to a complete denial of my faith at some point in the future. And that, that road in which I started to drink and I started to party and have fun, uh, worldly pleasures, really took me down a dark, dark path. Um, so when I began to go to college, you know, as PKs out there might know, we go a little bit crazy. <laughs> we, um, after being cooped up for a, a long time, it's kind of like finally having freedom to do whatever you want. It's almost, it's a false freedom. You know, in having what Matt said, like discipline, there is love, there is self-control, and there is righteousness, and there is freedom in that. There is freedom in having these guidelines along alongside you, and I didn't realize that at the time. So when I went to college, I indulged in everything that the college life had to offer, um, that being like, like hooking up with people, partying until uh, you know 5 a.m. in the morning, drinking, I began to do drugs. And during this time, I felt further from God, I felt further from my family, and further from everyone that I knew in my old life than ever before. All these new friends that I would just go out partying with, they just wanted to have me there for the company. If I um, was doing drugs, they wanted to join in with me. They just wanted to use me. And I didn't really get a taste of what true friendship was. And so when quarantine hit, when COVID happened, this was probably the hardest year of my life. Um, because uh, I don't know if you guys know what a pen is, but it's basically like a weed vape, and you can get high very quickly off of it. It's very concentrated. And I bought one of those before being locked up in quarantine. So over quarantine, I got very addicted to it. And escaping reality was basically the only thing I wanted to do. Just ignore the fact that I was dying inside. Ignore the fact that my parents and I were drifting further and further away. Ignore the fact that all my friends didn't want to talk to me anymore, that I was depressed and that I had this anxiety 
that just ruled my life. And when I finally went back to college, my problems only got worse. I isolated more than ever before. My life became this dark, dark spiral in which I started to doubt. After all these years of being told that God is real, I started to doubt. I started to question, is he actually, is he actually there? If he cares for me, why is this happening? Why am I suffering through this stuff? And, you know, the pleasures of the world just keep driving you further and further down, driving that stake deeper and deeper into your heart. <laughs> Until at one point, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this, you know, in your past or heard about this, but drugs are a way to the demonic realm and a gateway into spiritual places. And one evening, I was just very stressed out and using my unhealthy coping me mechanisms. And through that, um, I just felt this compulsion to walk into the bathroom. And so I walk into the restroom, and the door just closes behind me. There's no one else in my dorm. Everyone else is out doing whatever. And I'm kind of freaking out. But at the same time, I kind of I kind of knew what was happening. So I felt my arm just lose control of my body and just turn off the lights. And I stared into this mirror, into these eyes that were in mine, and this face that was just so full of hatred and anger and pain. And I felt a whisper over my shoulder, just whispering, just say my name. And I knew that the devil wanted, he wanted me then. I had a problem with avarice, which is an insatiable greed, insatiable lust for power at that point in my life. And I wanted unearthly, inordinate power. And I knew that I wouldn't get it from God and that if I wanted it, that he, he knew that he, want, he would supply it to me, but I also knew the cost of it. Um, yeah, and I just stared back for what seemed like an eternity. And I thank the Lord for his grace and that I turned back and I said no. I turned away and I fell to my knees and started just praying to the Lord out of both fear and conviction. And from then on, I knew that that is where I wanted to be, running back into the arms of a father whose love came down and rescued me, one who sets me free. And at that point, I was still very addicted to drugs, and I, could not, I couldn't function without them. But I knew that when I came home, I had to do something. So I <laughs> packed up, I left, I came back to school, uh, I mean, I came back home, and my mom just was completely there for me. She knew everything that was going on. She knew everything that I was going through. And I just saw Jesus in her that day when I told her, when I confessed all this dark stuff that I was hiding, all these horrible habits that I've been housing and all these very traumatic experiences that I had to go through. 
and the ones I tried to cover up. And as I was staying home, we all prayed. I started to connect with God again. I started to connect with my family. I started to realize that this life I was leading would only lead to destruction. It would only lead to further death. I began having lung problems where I couldn't breathe properly. I began uh, um, doubting reality and having uh, insane dreams and just lapses in which I wouldn't know if, it was, if anything was real anymore. And through that, my parents and the Lord has helped me through it all. And that comes to a verse that I now live by, and that's Matthew 18, um, 19 to 20. And it states that, for when two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. It made me realize I couldn't do this on my own. It made me realize that no matter what you're going through, no matter how strong you are, no matter how gifted your perception of yourself might be, you can't keep swimming forever. And an important lesson I learned was that for some people, they need to hit the rocky bottom to know which way is up. And this sea of turmoil, of doubt, of confusion that we call life, and the best we can do as friends, as family, as lovers, and as Christians is just offer a life raft. They don't have to take it, but be there, love them, because that's what people did for me, and that's what we can do for others. And... You know, demonic oppression is very real. It's something I used to suffer from very frequently when my mental disorders were at their worst, when I was doing drugs and hallucinating every day, when I was literally plagued by screams in the night in my head and nightmares, voices telling me just to give myself off, to um, steal, kill, and destroy. but I'm not afraid of those anymore. They don't have any power any more than we give them. And so my testimony is one of just love and rejecting that fear, rejecting being afraid to run back to the Father. I mean, sorry, rejecting... (laughs) My apologies, Um, of rejecting that fear of coming back to the Father and just rejecting the lies of the enemy. And it takes a lot of strength to do that. So what I just want to leave you guys off with this Sunday is this. Let us not live our lives in mindless fear, but let us live our lives with fearless minds. Have a great Sunday.